What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of The Athlete Angle. I caught up with Aaron Moshbitz to talk about the roller coaster of emotions and challenges he faced on his journey of becoming a pro baseball player. Spoiler alert, it didn't work out. Instead, Aaron pivoted and became a pro wrestler. Soon after he started his career in wrestling, he lost his sister to suicide. He then dealt with a season of grief and loss, both from losing his sister to mental health issues and his identity in sports. Stay tuned for part two. Aaron walks me through how he navigated the grief and the pain and everything else that comes with this season. What's up, guys? Welcome to The Athlete Angle. I'm your host, MC Bell. Do you feel like you're walking aimlessly through life after sports? Do you feel lost without your sport and unsure of how to find confidence in your purpose? It's like the second you hung up your cleats or walked off that field, you've been drifting ever since. Well, I'm here to tell you that you are not alone, my friend. You are one of thousands of student and professional athletes that struggle with transitioning into life after sports. Join me this week as we work to unravel the confusing journey of life post-sports, gain clarity in your purpose, and find confidence in your identity so you can flourish in life after sports. Let's dive in. I know you said you were a D1 baseball player, but clearly you have not done that your whole life. So how did you get to that position? Oh, man. I'm so glad we're starting with baseball because I love baseball. Uh, I just, I fell in love with it like early in my life, baseball, like I want to say like three years old, I knew that I loved it, which is like, seems like a super young age to fall in love with something, but no, not at all. You know, you know my, my grandpa was a baseball player. Um, and so I, I think he just sort of passed that gene onto me. Um, and my mom is one of those people who just like is extremely supportive and will just like fall in love with anything that her kid loves. So she all of a sudden was like a big baseball fan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we would go to a bunch of baseball games and I grew up in San Francisco. I currently live in, in Dallas. So, um, back when I was younger, Barry Bonds was still playing and my dad and I would go sit in the left field bleachers where he would play left field. And that was just like super special. Barry Bonds is my favorite baseball player of all time regardless of the steroid accusations or whatever, all that stuff, we don't have to get into it. But uh, yeah, anyway, so just through that, through just, you know, being a part of the game, and then I wasn't very good at it. And so if you know anything about baseball, uh, it's like a failure driven sport, like, you're pretty good. If you get on base two out of 10 times, you're really, really good. If you get on base three out of 10 times, like in the high school, middle school level, like four out of 10 is pretty good. And then when you get to like college, it, it, it goes back down to like three and a half out of 10, three out of 10. And so like leading up all the way to like my junior year of high school, I was like, not good. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't mean to say that, like to not speak highly of myself. Like I just wasn't, I didn't fully grow into my body. I hit puberty sort of late. I just wasn't, I wasn't moving well. Um, You know, I had my hands, my feet and my sort of my face, my nose and ears have always been like quite big. Like I have size 13 feet, but for a long wow. time, like my, my torso was like really small. And so my body just like hadn't like elongated yet, I guess. Okay. And so, yeah. And so when I hit like my junior year of high school, I was like all of a sudden like six two, two twenty five, 225 
Um, and I'd been doing wrestling, like amateur wrestling, um, the couple past couple years in high school. And that got me like into working out into my body and sort of figuring out how I could move better. And then I grew into myself and then I started having some confidence. And then all of a sudden that sort of blossomed into me being, you know, fairly decent at baseball at, at a young age, junior year. Um, and that led to all the way to getting a scholarship at uh, South Dakota State University, go Jackrabbits. Um, and, you know, going from Dallas, Texas to South Dakota was a bit of a bit of a jump. Huge. Um, yeah, I had never been in that sort of snowy conditions in my life. I don't even know how you would adjust to that. I, I mean, we had players come from different countries in like Iceland and, and, you know, Nord, like Nordic countries. And I never understood they would, you know, they would be the ones to pass out at, you know, during our like summer workouts and in, um, preseason, all that stuff. But I can't imagine going from the heat to the cold. Yeah, it was wild. It was like, I didn't know what to do. And, but my first day on campus was my first day at school. Uh, and in the summertime in South Dakota is like beautiful. They have abs, they have magnificent seasons four beautiful seasons, like really distinct four seasons, but yeah, winter hits wow. you hard. Like I didn't know it could get that cold. Like I would walk to class in negative 35 degrees. Like oh didn't like, gosh. I wasn't really sure that it actually existed. So <laughs> weather um, channel lies all the time. Yeah. I was like, Oh <laughs> man, this is the real deal. Uh, yeah. And then <clears throat> I played all four years there. It was awesome. Um, and then, uh, I thought I was going to get drafted my senior year of college. Uh, that didn't happen maybe because I went to a small school met what could have been numerous reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, I've stopped beating myself up about it like a few years ago. So it's we don't hard. have to hash all that out. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We don't need to open old wounds up. It's all good. No, we're going to open some wounds up. Just maybe not that one. Not that's what I'm saying. Not that one, but we're definitely getting to the others. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, uh, I come to like a pivotal point in the story. I say all that to say that I did three tryouts with the Braves after I didn't get drafted and they all went really, really badly. Like I played my worst baseball I've ever played in my whole life. <clears throat> and sort of on the drive home after the last tryout, I was just done. I was done with baseball. I had made it like an internal decision that I hated the sport. And I got absolutely nothing out of it from age three to age 21. I played baseball every single day of my life. And then just in that simple car ride home, I decided that I hated the sport that it taught me zero lessons about life. And there was nothing I gained from thinking about baseball ever again in my life. Wow. And so I went to side of that drastic decision. And <clears throat> an important piece is that I didn't have to think about it because while I was loving baseball, I fell in love with professional wrestling, which if those don't know, it's like WWE, The Rock, Stone right. Cold Steve Austin, you know, sparkly underwear, big men throwing other big men around. What was it like? for you as a baseball player, once you felt like you've got your confidence about you and you're going into college with, um, I don't want to say a chip on your shoulder, but you know, you're good, you know, like you're mm -hmm. going to play D one baseball. Who were you at that, at that stage in your life? That's a good question. I, I did have a bit of a, a chip on my shoulder because in Dallas, I'm in like, a, I went to a really big high school and, um, we were one of the best teams my senior year in the country. Um, went to the state tournament and all this stuff. And I was an all state player and got zero looks from any school in the state of Texas. 
And there's a lot of schools in the state of Texas. There's also a lot of really good baseball players. So it kind of goes hand in hand. So, but I got no looks and I had to travel all the way out to South Dakota to play the sport that I loved. So there was a big chip on my shoulder. Um, but I wasn't really sure who I was in high school. I didn't have many friends. I didn't really do anything outside of work out and play baseball. Uh, not because I didn't want to have friends. I just wasn't really sure like how I was going to act. And that was, you know, who I wanted to be. I was very much bullied like all up until I got quite big and then people stopped bullying me. I'm sure they still said stuff when I wasn't around, but yeah, um, all of that. And so when I got to college, I sort of like made a decision that I was going to try and be the person that I thought I could be in high school, like a little more outgoing, mm-hmm. um, a little more confident. And so I just sort of made a choice. I don't know. Spread and your then, wings. Yeah. No one knows you. This is your fresh slate. Like you're starting brand new. You can literally create yourself into anything that you want. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I don't, I don't know where that came from. Like no one, no one told me that I needed to do that. Um, You know, I think most of us are much more capable than we give ourselves credit for when we go into these sort of unfamiliar situations and uncomfortable situations, right? We feel scared and we're always going to feel scared. But for some reason I had this like bit of bravery about me this bit of like, I I can do this. Like, this is something I can do, Um, you know? And that's probably something I learned from playing baseball for a long time, but refused to admit it until a couple of years ago when I did some work on it. But yeah, so feeling that sort of way. And then a a big factor was being introduced to alcohol for the first time. Mm, So I didn't drink um, in high school and I started drinking a bit my second semester of my freshman year. And... Uh, I don't drink anymore because I don't don't like what it does and doesn't like I don't like how it feels. But I did it in university and it does get you out of your out of your sort of comfort zone a bit. Right. It allows you to sort of lose sort of inhibitions in a good way and in sometimes a really, really bad way. Right. Um, And so I I sort of took on a a persona sort of like I did when I became a professional wrestler as sort of like, you know, your typical baseball player, sort of jock, quite loud, obnoxious not super friendly, but like people liked him sort of because he feel like he really liked himself and just like, so I, so I sort of over rotated from the guy in high school who was like really shy, didn't have any friends, got into college, sort of made a decision about my confidence and who I wanted to be, then got introduced to alcohol and sort of super over rotated the opposite direction and mm-hmm. became this sort of pompous, egotistical guy. I still made really close friends because in small groups of circles, I was like a true real human but in like large groups of people, I wanted the attention that I never got in high school. And right. so I, I garnered that through being loud, being good at my sport, drinking a lot of alcohol, having parties at my house, things of that nature. Definitely. Um, yeah. So when did you feel like growing up, you said you played baseball every single day of your life from three to 21. Was there ever a moment where you realized that that was your entire life and maybe that you identified as it, even if even if maybe you didn't say that or you think that at the time. Yeah, I totally identified at it as it and I loved it. I loved identifying as a baseball player. Like I thought there was like there's is still something very cool, uh, you know, about being a baseball player or an athlete in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I definitely did. Um, there was really nothing else about me that was interesting, um, not because I didn't have any other interests, because I never shared them with anyone for anyone to get to know them about me. And so I closed that part off. So I just identified as this one thing, 
you know, a few years ago when I had to reevaluate my whole life, that was, you know, it wasn't a detriment, but yeah, it, it put a, it put a strain on some things that I could have done and a variety of different domains I could have been interested in, but I was just in this one path. And that's sort of what you have to be obsessed about if you want to be really good at a sport. And so there's like a, there's such a dark side to it all, you know, because you sacrifice so much and mm -hmm. there's so much cost that goes into being a division one athlete or the best in the world at what you do. And most of the time we're willing to pay those sacrifices and we're willing to pay those costs, but we have to pay them back once our sport is done and we haven't really figured out the truth, the authentic self, you know, who we really are, how we can show up for ourselves, who we want to be just around our friends without having to say we need to go to practice or get a lift in or whatever the case may be. And so that took me a while because I just did that in wrestling the same way I did it in baseball, nothing yeah. outside of myself except that thing. Why do you think you closed yourself off to, or why did you, why do you think you closed other parts of yourself off to maybe friends or other people that you were around growing up and only put baseball in the spotlight? Cause that was where I felt the most safe and the most confident, you know, everywhere else I, uh, I got bullied for, <clears throat> if you, um, for a long time, I, I got plastic surgery on my ears when I was a junior in high school, but before that, my ears used to stick straight forward. And so I got called Dumbo for, you know, the better part of my whole life until I was like 16 years old. Wow. And so I didn't want to, I didn't want to be around people who were treating me like that. Mm -hmm. And baseball was a place where I could just be, I could just play the game. And it wasn't about what I looked like. It was about my performance and how I showed up and things like that, things that were more under my control than people being really, really mean to me, to be very frank. And so, um, and then I got really big. Uh, <laughs> and so I sort of turned that around on other people when I could have, I sort of redistributed my pain onto others and was a bit of a bully uh, in certain circumstances, said and did things that I am not proud of, definitely in, in college. Um, but that's how, that's the only way I knew how to deal with it until I actually figured out how to deal with it. What made you decide that you wanted to go play professional baseball? Because there are lots of athletes that get to a point in their career where they're okay with, you know, hanging up the cleats or, you know, never skating again at a competitive level. They're, they're cool with what they did. They like the place that they reached in their sport and they're okay to transition into, you know, life after sports but when you go into professional sport there's a whole new level what do you how did you know you wanted to uh get to that next level i knew because i i sort of just had a feeling that i could play at that level but i didn't have that feeling uh until my junior year of college like i go back to my high school i barely thought i could i didn't know if i was going to play in college the college offer happened i get to my freshman year i'm like okay maybe i'll Maybe I'll play my freshman year and then it, and then maybe I'll play my soft. Well, then I started my sophomore year and then it just sort of keeps moving from there. And then in baseball, you go in between seasons, like in summer, you go and play in summer leagues. And that's where like every dude uh, in the country, like they compile on these summer teams and it's like the highest competition you can play against. And the summer before my senior year, I, I just had a really good summer against like guys who are still playing in major league baseball right now. 
And so that was just another like lift of my confidence. Like, oh, I might actually be able to do this. I might actually be able to play at the next level. So that was sort of the goal in mind. And now I, I uh, you know, if I had kept sort of this, like, maybe I could do this attitude instead of I'm going to do this attitude, it might've worked out differently. I don't know which mindset uh, is best um, looking at it, you know, at this point in my life back then. Um, but I treated it as seriously as I could. And, uh, it didn't work out, you know, but it did work out. I think it worked out perfectly because I'm exactly where I need to be. But mm -hmm. in that moment, I was like, what was all this for? It was for absolutely nothing. I did all of this work for no reason. Um, and that's how I felt, but I, but I still felt like I could do it. I just didn't get it done when I needed to at sort of these pivotal moments in my life, these tryouts, these high pressure situations. Um, a lot of stuff that I talk about now with my, with my baseball team is sort of these things that I learned over time in, in, in these pressure moments or deemed pressure moments, deemed big moments. Are they really big moments? Or are they just another moment? And so it's how you look at it that mm -hmm. frames your perspective on how you're going to perform in these situations. What changed your perspective when you were walking through that, you know, that season between being frustrated that you didn't make tryouts with the Braves and you know, kind of transitioning into pro wrestling. Why well, I, um, I fell in love with wrestling when I was 13. And so it was always like, I'm going to be a major league baseball player, or I'm going to be a professional wrestler. That was the only two options I had in my life. And so the baseball career sort of ended. Uh, and I immediately thought to myself in that same sort of drive home where I was resenting and hating baseball. It's like, okay, I'm going to go be a professional wrestler now. It's like no other option. And so I think the problem that I had there is that I gave myself no time to grieve the ending of my sport. I gave myself mm -hmm. no time to feel any emotion except for hatred, bitterness, and resentment because those are easy to shove under the rug and avoid right. when I'm immediately going to go chase another dream and I can wrap my whole body and life and soul and identity around that dream instead of dealing with this thing that I refused to deal with. Didn't know I was refusing at the time. I just thought I was like making the next move in my life. Um, right. And I was, right? That was, that's, a, that's a part of it. But a bigger part of it is how much I avoided thinking about how beautiful the game of baseball is and how much it taught me and how my life is literally shaped by the lessons that I learned from the game of baseball and how I would have never succeeded at anything else had I learned all the things I learned in baseball. And so, but I just moved on to wrestling. Um, then I created a fake name called Jackson Stone. And that was it. That was like literally was performing as someone else. So my identity was that because I was that person. Wow. I, I, I mean, I've never acted before, but it almost kind of sounds like, you know, when you, you are an actor, you're embodying this character that mm -hmm. looks, it is, uh, you know, a representation of yourself with a different name, uh, which, I mean, sounds very similar to wrestling in a way, maybe you didn't fully, uh, understand the transition that you were going through or that you were shoving these emotions under the rug. But do you think that actually getting into a different sport might've actually helped you in that circumstance rather than leaving you out to dry in a sense where you really didn't know what to do, but you still had some, something to be motivated to continue to work towards. 100%. Yes. I have no clue what I would have done if I didn't know immediately that I needed to be and wanted to be a professional wrestler. 
because as athletes, we need something. We need something to to drive us, to motivate us, whatever whatever it is. Like it could be anything. And there's a lot of things that we can uh, be disciplined by and, and help us flourish in life. So I just chose wrestling immediately. Um, and yes, it, it definitely helped me. Like it kept me in the gym. It kept me eating healthy, right? It kept me, mm. I needed a job because I needed to pay for wrestling school and my wrestling gear. So it kept me extremely disciplined and on the straight and narrow, like trying to chase this other insurmountable dream, almost as big as playing major league baseball was trying to be a WWE champion. And so, yes, it was, it was great. It was amazing. Uh, it was exactly what I needed and also what I didn't need at the same time. Um, you know, it wasn't for, like I needed it because I needed something to keep me going in terms of my drive and my motivation and not allowing me to think about baseball, but I didn't need it because it didn't make me think about the thing that I just ended mm -hmm. and allow me to process that stuff, work through it, and then maybe figure out how I can take that stuff that I learned and, and put it into a career. Um, but I guess I'm doing that now. I just needed all of that time and life experience and nuggets of wisdom to sort of figure it out to, uh, to do what I'm doing now. Why is it important to process the end of a, you know, a career or process or grieve your sport essentially? Well, it's like, it's like death. You have to like a part of you is dying when you end your sport. And then like, you know, you just, you, you have to figure out all of the darkest emotions that come up for you and voluntarily deal with them. And doing that, sitting in that space allows you to get to know yourself a little bit better, which is something that we don't have time to do when we're being a high level athlete. And so you're sort of attacking all of these things in the best way you know how, but you have to you have to look at it as to move on or move forward, excuse me, to change yourself. A part of you has to die and you have to let that part of you go. Now, there's a difference between letting that part of you die and letting that part of you go than sort of extrapolating the strengths and skills you learn from that thing. You're, you're taking those out but you're letting this this other part of you go so you can so you can move forward to the next chapter in your life. Mm -hmm. And so grieving like we would grieve anything else like the death of a loved one or potentially the loss of a job or a pet or a, losing your sport or not being able to do the thing that you love to do, you have to sit in that grief for a little bit and it's hard and it feels icky and there's going to be a lot of emotions that come up that just don't feel good like shame and guilt and for me a lot of bitterness and resentment um and things like that. And you just face them voluntarily head on as small as you can, bit by bit by bit. And then you slowly start to realize that you're the person who's capable of moving on, of moving on to the next chapter of, of your life, of doing the thing that you want to do outside of your sport. You're getting curious about your passions and, and what fulfills you and all of those other stuff that you sort of had to push to the side because you were one track minded and you sort of have to be obsessive about that thing. But now you don't have to be, you can, you can spread your wings and you can, you can flourish in other domains and you can start a podcast and you can, you know, go rock climbing or you can, whatever the case may be, you can start a YouTube channel about turtles, like all these sweet things that are available for us to do that we didn't really have time for, but you can't really engage in any of those things. If you don't fully grasp the fact that your sport is done. 
That is so good. <laughs> we'll just stop it right here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that is so good. It's it's so hard to. I mean, I've had like a decent amount of conversations about this, but it's. Um, I appreciate you being honest about that season of your life because that's exactly what people are asking for. Like, how do I deal with the emotions? How do I deal with the transition? What do I do when I don't know what to do with myself? And like, how do I handle all these, you know, the next steps? Like, I don't even, some people like that. I don't even want to want to move on. I don't know what I'm interested in. And then they, you know, they get stuck. Um, and it's a, it's a sucky spot to be in. Um, so how long did that, how long did it take for you to feel like you processed, you know, your grieving your baseball dream? And then eventually are you, do you still wrestle professionally or is that something that kind of ended as well? Yeah. I retired from that in March of 2022. Okay. So how long did it take for you to grieve your dreams of playing professional baseball? Well, I didn't, I didn't even start thinking about baseball again until 2020. So I stopped playing in 2014 and I didn't start thinking about baseball until 2020 uh, or 2019 actually. Yeah. Because that's when I moved back to, to Dallas and I got lunch with a friend and he was coaching baseball and he asked me to come out to the facility. He's like, Hey man, you want to come out to the facility? And I just like, didn't know how to respond. I was like, do I like baseball? Like, why is he asking me to coach? I don't. And so like just having that question being brought up and being in a much different place in my life than I was post-graduating college, like I thought about it. I thought about it deeply. I uh, went on a bunch of walks and when I was thinking about it at the gym and like, okay, what what about baseball? Do I like it still? Like I would throw the game on the TV. I would start talking to my friends about it a little bit. I was like, oh, okay. Well, what did I learn from the game? Well, I learned a bunch. I learned how to just keep showing up no matter what if you struck out 15 straight times and you can't see the ball and you made four errors and your coach yelled at you, but you love the game. So you keep showing up and you keep mm -hmm. showing up and how do you get better and better and better and better. And over the long stretch of time, 15 years, you finally got good. And so, okay, how can I take that and apply it to every aspect of my life? Well, I've already been doing that, but I just never actually spoke about it because I hated baseball so much for what I thought it didn't do for me. But what it really did for me was shape me as a, as a man. And it allowed me to become this person that I always thought I could be. And now I am. And now this guy who I'm friends with wants me to freaking coach kids. What am I supposed to do about that? I, I have to be like, I have to be ready to do that. Like coaching kids mm -hmm. is an honor and a responsibility. And I can't just show up as my sloppy self. Right. Like not loving the game, not passing on that passion to these kids who want the same thing that I was very lucky to have, which is play at a high level. And so I had to just figure all of that out. And so I let go of this dream of playing major league baseball. I had my chance. I did the absolute best I could. And that was enough for me. And being around kids who love the game just instantly brought it back for me. Like you just mm -hmm. see so much energy and passion and joy in their eyes, like fielding ground balls, hitting the cages, like just playing catch with their buddy who they haven't seen in a while, or they just played Fortnite with. Now they're like getting outside and playing catch. And it's like, how can you not love this game? How can I not sit here and try to teach every single lesson that has shaped my life to these young little people who are so impressionable, but so like wise and they want to learn 
-hmm. And the game is just beautiful. All sports are like that. It's just a, you, you slowly learn when you come out of all of this stuff that sports are just a vehicle. They're just a vehicle for us to become the best version of ourselves. And that's the vehicle we chose to ride. And we have to be able to sort of extrapolate, again, some of those lessons learned that were not useless now that we're out of sport. They're very useful and helpful. And we just have to realize the capability of those skills and being able to have to verbalize those things to kids so they understand it helped me understand it at a much deeper level than I thought possible. So it all got sparked because I had lunch with my buddy and he wanted me to come help his coach's kids. And Thanks to your friend. It, uh, yeah, it, it changed my life. You know, three years later, we were coach, we're still coaching together. We have almost 51 kids in our 14U program and just uh, on the baseball field every single night. So it couldn't, it couldn't be better. It couldn't be better. Oh my gosh. That just like threw me back. I mean, soccer is my jam, but there's nothing like being in your sport and, and just feeling so much of yourself in it. And then kind of like what you're saying, like I did, I did some coaching right once I finished soccer, but it just, it forces you to take everything that you learned. And, and like you were saying, like you feel the weight of that responsibility on you to lead these kids in a direction that they're going to want to go in and see the game that the way that you see the game and, and have the game do things for them the way it did for you, um, which takes a lot of thought. Like it takes a lot of time sitting with yourself, you know, doing that reflection that maybe you didn't do when you, you know, ended your sport. Um, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of athletes that do finish their sport is when they start coaching, that is one of the ways that they, you know, find purpose again, um, or at least get the ball rolling. Um, was that the same way? Or was that the same thing that happened for you for wrestling or is wrestling a different story? Yeah. Um, wrestling's totally different. Baseball wasn't involved in that at all. I just got into it. Um, I developed a, a persona, a character, and then I started just, just sort of traveling the world uh, as a professional wrestler. Um, but it wasn't until I moved back home to to Dallas when the coaching thing popped up into my life and had to sort of reevaluate my own values and insecurities and things I was avoiding and stuff like that. But in wrestling, I was just Jackson Stone. I could avoid all real feelings altogether because I was – portraying this character called lights camera jackson it's a play on lights camera action so i was pretending to be a Smart. movie star yeah pretending to be a movie star. it came to me in my sleep i woke up like oh god i got it i got the million dollar idea it's here <laughs> no one's ever done this before it's great yeah uh, and then i found out that like a ton of people had used the lights camera jackson but anyways oh. that's not the point not the point anyways uh but yeah, so then I was like pretending to be a movie star so everything i did was was curated uh especially for social media of course, wrestling is a performance. That's one of the reasons why I loved it. It's like a combination of athleticism and superheroes and theater. And so I, I created what I thought was a larger than life character. And that was who I was. There was no, there was nothing outside of that. Um, I had some, I still had some great relationships with the people that I made, uh, that my friends that I met in college and those were cultivated and I was sort of like a real person with them. But outside mm -hmm. of that, fans, social media, things like that, just straight up Jackson Stone. I would assume that that took up most of your time. Uh, and not only did that not give you the space really to uh, really process the baseball uh, transition, but what about starting any other interests or hobbies or 
discovering any other sides of you. Was that available to you at that time? Or was this something that you've done more recently? Um, well, I didn't want really anything else to be available to me. Um, this was the only thing I wanted for, you know, a long time until, um, we could say the most important, painful, tragic event happened in my life. Mm -hmm. And that led me down the sort of the path that I'm on. And it was in, um, September of 2018 that um, I lost my big sister, Rachel, to to suicide. And when when something like that happens, you 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 tend to reevaluate your whole life. Like what's really important? Who do I want to spend my time with? How do I want to spend my time? Like life punches you in the face telling you that this thing that you have is precious. It's very fragile. Is this the life that you really want to be living? And is this the person that you really want to be showing up as? You know, I didn't just come to those realizations, you know, a couple of days after her passing, right? This took a little bit of time right. and effort and attention. But I immediately started digging deep into, into mental health. This is where my, my own mental health journey began. This is where I started learning and understanding and thinking about everything related to mental health. How can we understand it more? How can we change the conversation around it? How can we prevent anyone else from feeling the way that my sister did when she was in the depths of her darkness and despair? How can, what can we do? Um, and that's when, that's when sort of these outside passions and journey started. Um, you know, I started in a support group to help my own mental health and my own livelihood to make sure that I was waking up every day. Um, wrestling was still there as sort of a way to keep me motivated and keep me in the gym and keep me going. But then, um, at the beginning of 2019, that's when I moved back to Dallas, to Texas. I was living in Philadelphia and that's when sort of the, the baseball train started rolling in, in sort of the coaching atmosphere. But COVID was, uh, or the pandemic was a very pivotal sort of moment because I was still wrestling full time. And if you can't wrestle, you can't really wrestle when there's no fans in the building. So I actively had no job and no backup plan. And so I was doing a bit of stuff. My, my mental health nonprofit now is called You Are Loved. And so I was doing some stuff You Are Love related. Like I was doing some mental health videos on YouTube. I was uh, creating t-shirts and donating them to larger organizations um, I was going to conferences and just to learn more about it. And so I knew that eventually I wanted to create You Are Loved into sort of this mental health nonprofit where we could help people. And I can get into specifically how we do that uh, in a second. And so since I had all of this free time, um, I just dove right in. I dove right into creating a 501c3 official nonprofit for You Are Loved. I dove into a podcast where I could have deeper conversations with people such as yourself about these amazing topics where we can just riff and sort of create podcast magic. Um, Love it. And yeah. And I started doing some public speaking, basically just talking about my story and I started doing all of those things. And now all of those things are what I do for a living. And it's, it's so interesting. Sometimes the word I use, but like, I'll use it for now, like interesting where my life has turned out to be based mm -hmm. on a moment that is the most 
worst painful moment that I've ever had. And I think a lot of people use a lot of empty platitudes when talking about these very serious moments, like everything's going to be all right. Everything happens for a reason. Sometimes those things might be true, but we have to be very, 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 very careful when and where we use those phrases. Like a ton of people said that to me after my sister passed away. And I'm just like, like, what's the reason, dude? You got a fucking reason? Can you tell me? Like, yeah. I'd love to hear it. Like, what is it? Like, now I know the reason, but that's four years later of like deep, deep work. And so relating to, to mental health, to grief, to all of these things, the language that we use is extremely important. And I know a lot of times people like feel compelled to want to say something because they feel like they have to say something or else they're like a bad person. But really, you're not a bad person because you're thinking about that you want to say something. You're thinking about caring for that person. Mm -hmm. So the best thing you can do instead of saying all these empty things that people have said to them for like a while now, if they're if their death or their tragic or their event is recent, just like be there, like be willing to sit in this sadness and darkness with them so that you can hold their hand, you can link arms. And so when they do decide to stand up and try and see the light, you're right there to help them up. And that's much more powerful than empty words and empty phrases. And so that's extremely important when it comes to thinking about how we talk about suicide, how we talk about mental health. Like there's much more to it. Within two, three, four days of someone passing away, that's like all that the words are said. And so we can be better. We can be more intentional. We can be more proactive with how we talk about it. And if you're not in the room with the person, you can't sit with them in their darkness, then think of a thoughtful message that you could actually send them that they would resonate with. Not like, yo, man, everything happens for a reason. Keep your chin up. Well, yeah. Like maybe in certain situations, you know, that could work. But in, in, in very hard situations, we're not looking for the reason to get stronger, to overcome in the midst of the tragedy. Yes, we have to do that eventually. We have to work our way up to the point where we can look at it sort of more objectively and be like, what can I take from this? Right. Yes. You know? It, yeah. So, but there's just a fine line of, of when to say things, when not to say them. So just language is, is quite important. So let's be more intentional about that. You said you still had your wrestling career and that kind of thing, but I, it almost sounds like those, you know, your baseball career and your wrestling career were kind of on the back burner for that time being. Do you think that going through this tragedy helped you, uh, you know, dig in maybe to a place that you haven't been able to go before and, and confront some of the things from your, you know, professional or from your sports career? Absolutely. Absolutely. It gave me, it sort of gave me the window into my own soul, into my own mortality, into how fragile things really are. And so you get really introspective about your life and think about all of the good things that have actually happened to you. And, and baseball kept popping up. Hmm. Uh, it's like, it's like you met your best friends in the whole freaking world at South Dakota state. Like you're just in someone's wedding. They're going to be in your wedding. Like, how is that not a win? That's a huge win. Right. Um, yeah. You didn't make it to the big time. Who cares? Right. You had an amazing time. You got your school paid for partially. You don't get full scholarships in baseball, but anyways, <laughs> <laughs> I 
because uh, you guys have like 50 people on the team. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, we do have quite a lot of people, but, uh, <clears throat> and so like all of those things, you look back and you're like, those are, those are huge wins. Like I got to spend four years at a university, like exploring myself, figuring out things, um, meeting my best friends, playing a sport every day, thinking about all of those things. Um, and then being introduced into coaching, having to think about my mental health, my sister, my family, like where I want to be in my life. Is this important? Is wrestling important? Do I want to keep pretending like, is this how you want to live your life? Does it feel right in your gut and in your soul? And you ask yourself all of those questions and, you know, right away, you're not going to have any of those answers, but if you keep digging, you keep being with yourself, you keep being honest with yourself, you keep trusting yourself because you've earned that trust in yourself through the things that you've done over time. And you're like, okay, this is sort of the direction. This is where my gut is taking me. Okay. I feel this. I feel that let's move in this direction. You just take these small little steps and it starts to become more clear. And then, you know, I started doing that and I started taking bigger, bigger and bigger steps And it. And it's led me, you know, right here to this conversation with you, which is exactly where I want to be. Wow. So where, where would you say your mental health journey is now? Yeah, I feel, I feel amazing. And that's wild to say, because mm -hmm. for a time, any time that I said that I felt good or had a good day, I, I felt guilty. I felt like an absolute horrible piece of garbage because how am I allowed to feel good and have a good day when my sister was struggling mm -hmm. so long and so hard? Like, why am I allowed that? That's horseshit, dude. Feel bad, feel sad all the time. And so you got to come to terms with, I had to come to terms with that. I'm like, dude, I'm, a, I'm like allowed to have a good day. I'm allowed to smile. I'm allowed mm -hmm. to laugh with my friends. I'm allowed to go and do things that I enjoy because she did all of those things. And we did a lot of those things together. We lived together for a while, which was, which was quite amazing. Um, and she was the biggest supporter. She was at my first professional wrestling match. It's actually on YouTube. If you want to watch Aww. some really hilarious thing on youtube absolutely it's, it's quite funny <laughs> uh but anyways so having to having to sort of um learn that where my mental health is now you know i do a lot of things every day for my mental health i sort of i'm a big advocate of being proactive with your mental health so having a system and set of tools that you go to every single day regardless of how you feel is the only way to be proactive with your mental health um you don't want to be like me and sort of wait until you get punched in the face 15 times and have two black eyes and like have to pick yourself back up. You want to start to be a little proactive because everyone is going to get hit with a crisis. Everyone is going to have death in their life. Pain is inevitable. All of these things are inevitable. There's no avoiding them. But if you've built in a set of practices, a toolbox, let's say, that you can sort of pick out every time you need to and you do them on a consistent basis, like I'm feeling great today. Okay, I still do these things. I'm feeling okay today. Still do these things. I'm feeling not so good. Definitely do these things, right? Doing all of our things, all of our protocols um, all the time, especially when we feel our worst. But the important part about it is we have to know what those protocols are, right? The, the, the really hard part about it is if I'm feeling not very good, I'm sort of spiraling out of control and I haven't tried any of these sort of tools that have maybe might be good for me that I've like read on the internet or saw on TikTok or heard on a podcast. And like, all of a sudden I'm like not feeling well. And I like meditation pops into my mind and I'm like, start meditating. Okay. Start breathing for like a minute. And I'm like, this shit sucks. It doesn't freaking work. You're never going to try it again. And you didn't, and it didn't work for you. 
because you didn't give it a long enough try and you didn't try it when you were feeling okay and had a clear mind, right? right. Your mind was, was clouded, Some things were happening, you weren't feeling your best and you just sort of threw this technique away. Now, if you try meditation for three months and it still doesn't work for you, great, toss it, don't need it, it's not for you. It's not mm -hmm. part of your mental health toolkit, but you have to give those things a real try. And so you wanna start actively adding these things into your life. So you have a toolbox, you have a, an oncology of practices that you can go to regardless of how you feel. So you have sort of a, your number one self-care strategy that isn't like going to get a massage every six months. It's like something that you freaking do every day because it's a non-negotiable because it makes you feel good and mm -hmm. you know it. For me, it's like getting eight hours of sleep. For someone else, it might be doing 30 minutes of yoga. For someone else, it might be getting a 30-minute walk outside where they can sort of like feel grass and touch nature and be in that sort of environment or get some sun, whatever it is. It's a non-negotiable. You're trying to get it done five out of seven days of the week. And so that's your number one self-care strategy. How can you add like two or three more things there so you can have this, again, toolbox, toolkit, and you can pick them out every day and then think about some of your habits and, and all of that. But that's just like how I think about my mental health. And so coming to terms with all of my really hard emotions, like sort of the shame and guilt that I felt for feeling good, for having a productive life, for like having happiness and love in my life. Like I'm allowed to have all of that. And my sister would want that for me, but you have to, you have to work through those emotions. And um, another one that I, another really challenging emotion that I had to deal with was like a sense of relief, relief that my sister was gone because she battled with major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and some schizophrenia for like a, almost 11 years. So wow. she was like, yeah, she was an absolute fighter. She was very, very, very ill. And she went into institutions. She was on medications. She saw a psychiatrist. She still managed to graduate college with an engineering degree and get wow. an engineering job. Like all of these incredible things that she did, right? And so, but there's sometimes there's like this constant worry about that person you love the most. And it just like weighs you down. It creates overwhelm and anxiety all the time. And I'm not, I would I would much rather have this sense of overwhelm and dread that my sister was still alive than if she isn't, right? Of course, obviously. Absolutely. She's the fucking best and she guides me every single day. But I'm saying that when you have that and that person is then gone, you don't want to admit that there's a sense of relief. Like you can't, mm -hmm. you can't because you're basically saying you didn't love that person, but that's not what it is. It's just emotion that you feel. There's no wrong way to feel. There is a wrong way to act, but there is no wrong way to feel. And I really had to grasp that emotion of relief. Mm. Like I can take a deep breath now. Yeah. Okay. You know, and like some of those like hard things that I can't shove under the rug because if I shove them under the rug, the dragon is just going to get bigger and bigger and he's going to burn my house down. I'm not letting that happen. Yes, I, I got burnt a few times and I have some scrapes and some scars from my healing journey, but to come out of a place where I can feel quite good and also sharing this story quite often. Yes, I get emotionally drained from talking about it, but I never don't feel a sense of, of passion for it because I know it's what I'm meant mm -hmm. to be doing, but you have to, you have to work through all of those things. So whatever thing you're going through, you can get through it. It's really quite hard and you're going to get knocked down, but how many times can you get back up and how many times can you spiral up instead of spiral down? Because there's always going to be that downward part, but you have to make the choice to keep going back up. And everyone's capable of doing that. And that's what, you know, building communities is about. That's what building your mental health toolkit is about. It's about showing that to yourself 
and and also having a support system that that lifts you up when you need it, that energizes you, that revitalizes you, and all of those extremely, extremely powerful things that we can create as human beings. What is in your toolbox? Mm, number one is exercise, for sure. I've been exercising every day of my life since I was like 14. Um, so getting to the gym, um, I've, I've expanded that window to just like movement because sometimes mm -hmm. it's a really busy day and I just can have time for a 30 minute walk or a 10 minute yoga session. I've also added like jujitsu into my life for some competition. So, so I do that like movements. Number one for me Two, sleep has been uh, the second most important thing. I've just been like a really poor sleeper my whole life. Mm. Um, and so I'm thinking about how can I have like a digital shutdown? How can I set boundaries on my screen time? How can I have it like an AM and a PM routine that allows me to feel energized? How can I have all of these things to help me get the most quality sleep I can get? How can I have a consistent wake and sleep time? All of those things. Like it's it varies every day. You know, sometimes practice goes longer or I have a podcast to record or whatever the case may be is, but trying to be as consistent as possible on my sleep so I can get eight hours so I can show up as the person I want to be with like energy and vigor and things like that. So exercise, sleep. Um, I'm big into, into meditation or breathing, mindfulness practices, whatever the case may be is. I just do a little session in the morning. Sometimes it's three minutes if I'm not feeling it. Sometimes it's 21 minutes if I'm really feeling good and I'm like in the zone and I'm feeling a bit of flow, as our friend Corey would say. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's, and then, and then I do have a journaling practice. I'm not as consistent on that as the other three, but I do journal quite often about just random stuff, things I'm grateful for, optimistic future, some affirmations. So those are the big ones for me. I also started doing a cold shower and I like the sauna I did a that lot. too. Cold showers are the what bomb. Do you, like? you like it? You liked it? Oh, yeah. So also, the water's really cold here right now. I live in, in Florida, but I mm. went surfing on Sunday and the water's like 67 degrees. But I was fine because I've been taking these cold showers and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just I'll just keep surfing and keep catching waves. Otherwise, like it's freezing, but it wakes you up. Like I feel so much better in the morning after doing a cold shower. Yes. That's a freaking win. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. it is. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. Like my uh, my girlfriend gets up every morning at 520 to go work out because she's an absolute legend. legend. Uh, so, so I just wake up with her because like if she's going to do it, I'm going to do it. That's how we get better together. And so I immediately just hop in the shower, cold shower right there. And like, I feel great 10 minutes later. So that's been a big, uh, a new addition, but a big one over like the last, I would say three months. And then I love the sauna. Like the sauna just is like, mm. I, I usually get another meditation session in the sauna. Um, and so, but I only go to the sauna like maybe three or four times a week. And so I usually add like another session in there because it's quiet and most of the time people don't talk to you, but I have gotten a few podcast guests out of the hangout sessions in the sauna. So I can't, I can't <laughs> okay. rule it out totally, but I love uh, it. Um, yeah. So those are, those are a bit of my practices and I would encourage, uh, anyone to, to figure out the absolute best things for them. Like it's for you. It's specifically for you. What nourishes mm -hmm. you, what fills you up. And it can be weird. doesn't matter if it's weird, it's for you and it works and it makes you feel good. And it makes you feel like the best version of you and it makes you feel alive and capable and all of those things. So you, you just have to try, you just have to try stuff and, and 
and really like commit to it, make the habits that you're trying to start like too small to fail. And I mean that in a sense, like, again, if you're trying to start a meditation practice, for example, like, okay, I'm going to meditate three days a week for 20 minutes. Like that's a lot. That's 60 minutes of meditating a week. If you've never meditated, that's a, that's a challenge. That's a real challenge. Yeah. But if you tell yourself, okay, I'd like to start a meditation practice. I'm going to do one deep breath three times a week. Oh, cool. <laughs> so you, you try that you, it's Monday morning. You're like, all right, it's time to meditate. I'll take my one deep breath. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll get some bonus reps in. And then you do like three. And that's a win because you said the thing that you said you were going to do. You didn't say three minutes, three times, 20 minutes. You said one deep breath. Mm -hmm. That's my practice. And then you did three actually. So you did way more than you said you were going to do. And then you did it on Wednesday. And then you did it on Friday. And then maybe the next week you're feeling like, oh, I can up this. Maybe it's five breaths. Maybe it's 30 seconds. And you're just making these habits too small to fail. And then you're stacking them up. And then you're getting bonus reps. And then you're becoming the person you said that you know you could become. And you're doing the things you said you could do. And you're right. building an undeniable stack of proof that you are this fucking great person, that you are this incredible individual that has massive capabilities to change the trajectory of their whole life. And it starts with just that little movement, that one deep breath, putting that one sock in the drawer, doing one push up, taking a 30 second walk, like not three hours, not 60 minutes, not your whole room, not your whole life. One thing, very small, move from that. Oh man, that's so freaking good. I, I had definitely struggled with that concept of smart, you know, starting small. Um, and I would, I was always that person that wanted to overachieve. So I set my goals really high. And then when I didn't reach the unattainable goals, I'd be like, Oh, I'm a failure. I have to try harder. And then I ended up not, you know, liking what I was doing, but continuing to do it. So I love that. It's such a healthier perspective on building habits and, and, remaining consistent. Once you've gotten through this, um, you know, you've had a, a massive mental health journey, um, tied in and, and most recently, like within the later years of your life, what would you tell an athlete that maybe is about to transition out of their sport, uh, or had to end their career because of an injury or maybe didn't make tryouts to professionally like you did, what would you tell them what do you think is the most important thing for them to know in that moment um, in terms of mental health? That's a hard question, but a good one. It's <laughs> mm. my job. Yeah. Beautiful. Well done. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> You're a veteran in your young podcasting years. <laughs> I do it. I do it for my real job too. So that helps. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Okay. Well, I think like one of the one of the first few things I would advise is to is to take take some time and slow and slow down for a second. Um, I did not do that, and maybe it was beneficial. Uh, I think maybe it was for my life. If you have another dream and passion that you already know you want to enter, yeah, maybe go and do that. But if you have no clue, or it abruptly ended, or it just got ripped away from you because of uncontrollable circumstances, then absolutely just sort of take some time. And maybe you're not afforded time because you have to pay some bills and you need a job and you have to move back home and your your brother needs you, your mom needs whatever. Like, oh, there's so many things going on, right? So do the thing you have to do, like get that stuff done because you have to, but also try and find some space to just like think and reflect 
and like write down everything that comes to your brain. Like it doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to be coherent. No one else is going to read it, but just write, write about your frustrations. Your, are you angry about your sport? Like, what did you learn from it? How can you grow? Like all of those things, you'll eventually get to the learning and the growing part. You're going to start with the stuff that sucks, mm -hmm. um, but you have to reflect on it. And so take some time to do that amidst of, you know, taking care of your sort of real life stuff. If you don't have to, if you have time to just be for a moment, for a couple of weeks, a month, two months, amazing, you know, and take some time out, do some things that you never had time to do, like go for a walk or like clear your schedule where you don't have this going on, that going on. And your coach has to need you here and you have to do this and this and this where your schedule isn't fully controlled. Leave it open, let it fly. Like if someone calls you to hang out, yeah, I'm free. If no one calls you, then you just sit at home and you, and you sort of just breathe in these sort of moments that you never got before. Mm -hmm. And clarity will come through that. Clarity will come because you're allowing yourself to think. Now, if you're weighing yourself down with a bunch of stuff and you dive into something else and you take on this challenge and that thing because you don't want to actually deal with what's happening like I did with myself, then you're not, you're going to get to this clarity, but you're going to get to it because something has happened. Now, if something already happened because of the sport, then you're sort of going to be forced into your hand at this point. And so you want to write some things down, you want to get crystal clear on, on, on why, why you started your sport, what made you love it, and how can you think about something else that might be, you might be curious about that you can sort of use those same sorts of skills in. Hmm. Um, talk to other people who are sort of transitioning in your life, have a support group or support system. Yeah, speak about so your feelings. Oh, yeah. Speak about your feelings like openly and honestly, maybe just to yourself. That's what the journal is for. Or you have a trusted friend or you have a trusted family member or just whoever it is like speak about them out loud because as you speak about them and the person who's listening just listens, you'll start to the get, you'll start to solve your own problem by just talking about them. Like a person's not going to fix you because you don't need to be fixed. Right. Again, you're not broken. You're just in a pivotal transitional point in your life. And the decision you make right now might not be the right one, but it is a decision and you're going to have to go down some sort of path. But you know, the beautiful thing about having hope for your future is that you can take multiple pathways. And so at this point, right when your sport has ended abruptly or not, you have to, you have to sort of reflect on it introspectively about where you want to be, where you want to take it, what happened, your angers, your frustrations, and then speak about those things actively and honestly, and then write down like 25 things that you're super curious about. And then like on the other side of those curiosities, like write down what they have to do with like the world. Like, okay, where do they coincide? Okay, and what do they overlap? Those things will overlap your curiosities, your passion and what the world needs. Where yeah. do those things go hand in hand? Okay, that might be your next pursuit. That might be your next pursuit. And not everything has to be a passive side income hustle thing. Like you could just do it because you, you wanna do it and you already have a sort of a job lined up or whatever the case may be. But if you need a job, cool. The world needs it. You're passionate about it. And there's some curiosity to it. Might be something you want to look into. And then I think as athletes, um, we lose the sight that it took us so long to get good at our sport. We don't take that skill over into another profession. We're just like, Oh, I'll just get good at it. in like a week Fine. Yeah. best in the world in the week. But then we start to think about it and we're like, Oh no, no. It took me like a really long time to do this. Okay. It took me 15 years to get good at baseball. It'll probably take me 15 years to get good at podcasting. So I'm sticking through it. I'm in the trenches. I'm ready to crawl through the trenches again because, you know, 
the process of climbing the mountain is way, way, way more fun than like getting to the tip of the mountain and being like, what do I do now? So. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. That's the process is so much more enjoyable than the actual goal because of all of the memories and all the lessons that you learn along the way. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly, like when you think about, you know, playing your sport for 15 years and not being good at something, honestly, it, I couldn't have said this before, uh, like maybe a year or two after I finished playing soccer, but it feels really good not to be good at a sport because there's not a level of pressure on me to feel like I have to be good at something. And it definitely creeps back in, but specifically with, uh, like surfing, I'm not the best surfer, but I love it. Like I am mm. obsessed with it and not for reasons of wanting to compete or be, you know, in, you know, in contention for something or, or, you know, pride or anything like that. You just get to be yourself doing that thing. And there's no alter your motive, um, or, you know, level that you have to reach. So I love that you mentioned that. I feel, uh, the exact same way as you about jujitsu. Like I'm, I'm bad at it. I'm like a white belt and all these other dudes just like <laughs> beat me up and choke me out and take my arm and grab my neck. And it's like, great. I keep showing up every single day. I don't know why, but I just feel, I feel drawn to it. Just like you with surfing. It's like, it, it brings me joy and it's a little bit of competitive nature to it, but there's like nothing, like, I don't have to be good at it at all. It's like, woo, great. I just got beat again. Sweet. Who's up next? I'm ready. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Awesome. You're, like a, you're like a kid again. Mm -hmm. 100%. 100%. And I feel the same way when like I play a little catch or I do some hitting with my with my kids. I'm like so loose when I'm hitting. I think about like, oh, if I was this like loose and relaxed when I was actually playing. Yes. Okay. Like, how do I teach that? How do we teach this looseness, this relaxity, this calmness? you know, like still playing with intensity, like you need to have as an athlete, but it's mm -hmm. like a relaxed intensity. It's like, I'm having a great time. I'm super focused on the game, but like, this is where I want to be. I'm in this moment. So that's all quite cool. Very important. Thank you for coming on. This has been, um, you have such an amazing story and I love the gravity of your story, even though it is, is tragic. People need to hear things like this desperately. So thank you for being brave and bold enough to, be honest and vulnerable and open about, um, the not so great parts of, you know, of your life. Yeah. You're very welcome. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you having me on and giving me the space and giving me your time and yeah. Thank you. Hey, thanks for giving this episode a listen. If this episode resonated with you, please leave a review and subscribe to the show on Apple podcasts. Oh, one more thing, stay in the know on Insta. Tag a former athlete, teammate, friend, foe, family member. You get the point. I would love to connect with you. Okay, friends, that is all she wrote. I'll see you next week.